Welcome to the Supergirl Supercast, a part of the incomparable family of podcasts. I'm Trish E.M. I'm David Schaub. I'm Jess Vieter. I'm Alan Yu. I'm Scott Grizzle. And I believe, David, you have a short recap for us. We're discussing Season 3, Episode 2, Triggers. Take it away, David. Here's my recap. A-plot. Supergirl fights Psy, who incapacitates people with their worst fears. Supergirl faces her fears, gains immunity, and wins. B-plot. Lena starts micromanaging Catco. James is blindsided and upset. Kara's life-work superhero balance is a problem for Lena, but they hug at the end. C-plot. Sam starts her new job managing Elcorp. Ruby has difficulty with her mum's work-life balance. Ruby tries to force her mother's super-powered hands, but is saved by Supergirl. D-plot. Alex and Maggie fight about the wedding plans, but have yet to talk about kids. Okay, right. So we do have a lot going on. I always like to talk about the journalism parts, but um, that's because that's because of my own particular interests. But probably what we should talk about first is relationship stuff with uh, Maggie and Alex, since that's where the episode starts. Before we even get there, I'd just like to also give the show points for the uh, the intro video with the song in the background. I think they did a pretty good job with that, even though I'm still entirely not sure what Alex puts in her morning drink. Right. I'd, I'd also like to give a few points for starting the episode with Alex and Maggie in bed so that, you know, it's a real live relationship, not just pecks on the cheek and talking about stuff. Yeah, I really appreciated that intro sequence. It really highlighted everyone's relationships as it was supposed to, but it but it also felt really genuine, and I liked that a lot. And of course, we had Maggie and Alex, and Mom and Ruby, and then we had Kara all by herself. <laughs> I, I quite liked her throwing the Romeo and Juliet book back under the bed, which which is uh, pretty metaphorical for the state of what how she's treating the state of that relationship. Indeed. I also liked the opening montage, and I thought it was interesting that uh, they focus so heavily uh, on Samantha and Ruby, because uh, if she's going to go on to become the big bad of the season, then she's going to get a lot more uh, focus and a lot more time on the screen than previous villains have gotten on any of the CW shows, because like if you look at the opening montage, she gets like equal time to act to Alex and Maggie and to Kara, so I I'm intrigued as to whether or not they will continue this, and if this will help maybe humanize her a little bit uh, as a villain later on, rather than just someone who just wants to destroy the entire world for some reason. Yeah, so one of my problems for, that I've had from the beginning with Supergirl, which I, like, love, I love the show so much, but one of the things that bothers me is how two-dimensional the villains are. Mm -hmm. um, even the, like, big overarching villains are very mustache-twirly, and it bothers me. But yes. I feel like they're setting us up for a, like, a really nuanced and multifaceted villain Possibly, probably with Sam slash. Are we? Are, how far? How far into comics are we getting? <laughs> I think we all know that the character that that, that it's Rain, uh, but I would be hesitant okay. to drag too much of the comic in. Like they're clearly going for such a yeah. more rounded character here that I don't even know if I would make the assumption that it'll be a villain. Like it, it's hard to say where it's going to go there. Right. I should maybe not call her a villain and more like a. Uh, a complication. We don't know yet, but she's definitely not, well, she's definitely not Psy, 
who <laughs> is as mustache twirly as they get. Oh, I would say Morgan was much more mustache twirly. I don't know. I mean, Sky. I mean, Sai was really getting into her her villain game. Game saying, you know, you think you're the cat and I'm the bird. Well, guess what? And uh, you know, stuff about money equals happiness, and your priorities are out of whack if you don't believe that. So I think that's that's pretty pretty far on the one dimensional, <laughs> not even two dimensional side. <laughs> Well, and, and Sai had her own supervillain costume, and they, they asked some questions in the episode about Sai. How did she get the power? A lot of other things, and didn't even bother to answer their own questions in the episode. So even they seemed to say, nah, just, we don't care. So, yeah, I don't really care about the Sai plot at all for this show, so I'd like to just keep talking about um, Rain a little bit. I am surprised to find out from this show that she is apparently going to be taking over at Elcor, and Lena is going to be concentrating on Catco, uh, and that just seemed, talk about priorities out of whack, that, that really seems, well, I was surprised to say the least. I, I was a little confused with all of the setup, and obviously they were just trying to feed us little bits uh, as you went through. And she's talking about, oh, I have, you know, a new job now, and, and you know, this one's going to pay better. And you kind of got the impression they were in a small house and driving an older car and everything at the very beginning. But her new job is chairman of a multinational conglomerate. I'm not really understanding. I, I don't know. I'm willing to give them a pass for it because I really appreciated. Like, I did not see that coming. You know, I didn't put the pieces together until the reveal at the end. Uh, and and then um, I I understand that, like, a CEO jumping from one company to another is not probably how it works. <laughs> um, but I really like Lena as a character. And I like that this will give us more opportunities for to see her interact with with Kara and with everyone else and I guess probably James as they are they seem to be leaning pretty hard on their relationship too yeah I was wondering earlier in the episode you know what what kind of job Samantha got that her first day she could just take off in the middle of the afternoon and reschedule everything and not be fired so apparently CEO is that job <laughs> <laughs> I would like to hear something at some point about her previous job experience and how she got this position. But there are plenty of other positions and job things to talk about. And what I, you know, I'm, I'm uh, intrigued by is what's going on with Lena and James. I mean, it seems like she is deliberately undercutting James by not inviting him to the meeting, uh, to the newsroom meeting and uh, begrudgingly allowing him to tag along with the with the other you know the accounting meeting or whatever it is uh i mean you you, you buy a i mean maybe she has noticed that james has been really slacking <laughs> as as the ceo of a of a, a cat co and this is her way of edging him out but um yeah it really that that's it, it didn't seem like she was just being clumsy and not in, involving james she was deliberately cutting out cutting him out for whatever reason that's how i saw it i think that's it very valid that head, it's very valid headcanon but i'm not sure if that's what actually was on the screen like on the screen it just looked like 
she was just doing she was just doing that. I was wondering if she was challenging him and being very assertive to see if he would step up and he did a little bit in one conversation, but uh having her step in but she hasn't officially demoted him or anything. So again, you know, we're season 3 and we're still not sure how Catco works as a company. <laughs> No, actually, I'm with Trish on how she interprets that scene because she specifically refers to it to a staff meeting, right? And so if that means like an all-staff meeting, then how could it be the entire company minus James? So, so I, 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 I fail to see how James as a member of the staff could be left out of a staff meeting if Lena were not deliberately doing that. And at this point, we have yet to see that play out. But this, I'm worried a little bit because this feels like more forcibly engineered conflict for the sake of adding conflict. And that usually doesn't turn out very fruitfully on CW shows when they add in conflict that doesn't really need to be there and doesn't really speak to, you know, any sort of fundamental disagreements of the characters. I, th- I think that's it. Yeah, but I mean, this show has been pretty savvy from the beginning. Well, not always, but I feel like when when they make these decisions about like like who is going to be at odds with each other and who is going to be a romantic interest, they feel out the territory and then if it doesn't work, they back off. Which is, um, you know, that's kind of nice and and kind of uncommon actually. So uh, I, I'm willing to give them, the, I'm willing to see where they go with this before worrying about it too much. I would I could offer the headcanon that uh, Lena's a Luther and she runs companies like Luthers, and we've never really seen how she interacts inside of her companies. And and I would I think this is just her mm-hmm. acting. I don't think she's intentionally trying to go after James. I think this is just how she acts. And we're just sort of seeing this for the first time. Um, and it does feel very contrived as a, as a mean of conflict. So I, I, I'm not quite sure why they're doing this. It almost feels like there's a comp- conservation of sets. We have a Lena set and we have a Katko set and they wanted to introduce a new person. So they had to shuffle the people around in those sets. Mm. Yeah. I figured that they were doing it to to center Lena to center Lena more since she is I think she's incredibly compelling. Oh yes. So um, you know, and it's, it makes it a little tough when she's over in a different building and she gets like two scenes w- when Kara happens to go visit her. This way, I think it makes her more integral, which I I, I do like that. But you mm-hmm. are right that it's also probably <laughs> uh, an common an economy thing as well. Right. I did like that uh, she knew Miss Tessmacher's name already and that Miss Tessmacher had taken the initiative to call over to Elcor and find out, you know, how, how Lena likes her drinks and, and all of that kind of stuff. So that was a nice little bit. I don't mind if they give Miss Tessmacher a little plot line this season. That would be fun to actually see her doing something instead of just being in a flutter at the office. <laughs> Oh, and um, I did enjoy that uh, Lena said, executive elevator? That's silly. This elevator is for everybody. She has other ways to show her authority. <laughs> Absolutely. And even in this one episode where we see her, you know, quote, being the boss, she comes across much more, like, not just confident, but self, like, confident and self-assured, but generous with her employees and very smart and and like she knows what she's doing and competent and all this stuff that 
Cat Grant never really felt and James never really felt. So like, you know, in a very short amount of time, they've really like one of the things that kind of has bothered me about Lena's character is that they keep saying that she's a genius and then she like, you know, pulls things out of nowhere. Like she can fix a spaceship with her hair clip, <laughs> but you know, but there is nothing to base that on. It just came out of thin air. Uh, so I like that they show her as incredibly competent, you know, in this episode. She is competent at technology and business, but but I think clearly there's some question as to her competence at dealing with people. And even she states those reasons where they don't have friends, they have minions. And in that regard, there's still the issue that how long can they keep this up where Lena does not know the car is Supergirl? I mean, it, it, it seemed ridiculous last season. Now it just seems more so, and it's only going to get worse. So if they don't actually deal with that at some point, um, this the, the, this constant, where are you, why aren't you at your desk business, is, is just going to get somewhat trying. Absolutely. It did only take her a day to figure out that, that Kara is horrible at her job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm always on board with that plot line where Kara gets slammed for being a bad journalist, but... <laughs> So it's not an, an original thought on Lena's part, but yes, it's it's good for her to see that and for her, her to start wondering what is going on with her friend. Over the course of uh, one or two days that we're covered in this episode, Kara introduced herself to a contact, and that is it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, I mean, they cannot keep this up. Uh, I have a feeling that this, you know, the re revealing... Supergirl's identity to Lena is going to be a major plot point and that she has to do it purposefully. Like it can't be accidental or it's going to destroy their relationship. Um, and one of the things that Supergirl does really well, the, the show is um, it subverts a lot of the really tired superhero tropes. So, you know, the Lois Lane trope. They can't keep doing this because it's like the antithesis of what the show does. I would certainly be surprised if they strung it out another whole season. Um, I, I, I would, I would like it to kind of take place over the course of this, and then Lena finds out just before the mid-season break. Yeah, I agree that that it needs to be Kara telling her because I'm just afraid that if it comes out accidentally, it's going to be part of a plot line that. You know, Lena finds out, and then she's mad, and then suddenly she's a bad guy, or, you know, something like that. Yeah, or it just causes tension where there sh doesn't need to be any, or, you know, it can be like on The Flash, where they did that for so long with, um, oh, what's her name? Iris. With Iris, with Iris. So long! Way too long. And they can't do that here. <laughs> yeah, and again, also... Consistent with Lena's character, she is too smart to not have figured out that, you know, Kara is doing something on the side that is not her job. Right. Of course, Lena is not necessarily people smart, but she can at least tell when someone's doing her job or not. Or, you know. Well, and how many episodes has Kara left her office and then Supergirl flown in immediately afterwards? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> Yeah, including once uh, in the last episode, I think, when it was almost instantaneous. You know, Kyle disappears and Supergirl flies in through the window. It is always possible that the city does actually have some lead poisoning problems. <laughs> well, but but Lena as a Luthor would be able to afford the lead-free uh, water. <laughs> she only showers with bottled water. 
Um, I did say I didn't care about the Psy plot, but uh, so I don't actually care about the bank robberies, but it did bring up some interesting stuff with Kara's uh, claustrophobia that we had, I don't think we had heard about before. Maybe it had been dormant or maybe Psy unearthed it. Um, but also with who Kara cho chose to talk about it and how that unfolded. So um, I liked that she ended up talking to Wynne about it because uh, she said she could talk to Wynne bec because talking to um, Alex or Jean about it would have made them too anxious. So I thought that was an interesting way. You know, I'm glad she can talk to somebody. And then, uh, then of course, Alex basically stared went into submission, so he spilled about the, <laughs> the claustrophobia anyway, so I thought that was interesting. Well, it still seemed like she went to win because she was hoping there was something in that fear that would help him, you know, track Psy down. He still, she still wasn't opening up just to open up. Well, that's true. She opened up the exact minimum she had to. I'm just saying that uh, later, when when we get to the to the scene where Alex stared down Win until he cracked, that was really fun because Win cracked very easily, and Alex is very good at pressuring him. Yes, a Alex is very good at staring Win down. <laughs> That's for sure. And when Win cracked adorably, we all knew he was going to crack, but it was just funny the timing. It seemed just right. Yeah. I, all right. So with this side plot, I. Agree that Sai was not a great villain, but she did, she, like, she wasn't the point. She was just sort of the catalyst for Kara to, to explore this horror she has, like, this internal um, dread and horror that she has that she, you know, basically probably sent Monel off to his death. And, uh, and, you know, her slow realization of that. And in this, you know, the delightful scene with Wynn, I think she chose Wynn. Because she knew that her sister would see right through her. Like, she would know immediately that it wasn't just claustrophobia, you know? She's, she, she knows her too well. And so I think that's why she was avoiding telling her, uh, telling Alex anything about it. Um, but, I mean, I loved the exploration of her fear and her panic. And mm -hmm. it felt so real and so mm -hmm. um, relatable. I, I was very impressed. Especially the scene in the elevator just, like, felt so genuine to me. It, it it just, I think it worked really well as a MacGuffin. Well, and in the elevator <laughs> scene, you know, demonstrated a panic attack well, then left her glasses and briefcase, stripped halfway through the building, and destroyed the top of Catco Tower. Um, you know, that's a, unfortunately a lot of damage that's going to be a little rough to explain. Oh, sorry, I got a little scared in the elevator. And Supergirl rescued me? <laughs> the sad part is we'll probably never see a reference to that elevator damage again. It would be nice if we just saw some, you know, plaster work or some kind of uh, out of notice, out of order notice or, or some little hat tip that to it. <laughs> I would love it if they would just add like two repair guys in the background of every episode who are just fixing damage from the previous <laughs> episode and just look completely worn out. Like, they don't have a single line of dialogue. You just see them in the background every once in a while. I would be totally on board with that kind of cleanup crew recurring 
visual gag. Considering how often Catco gets destroyed, their cleanup department should be as big as the editorial department at this point. <laughs> but regarding her panic attacks, I just wanted to mention that uh, not only did I really like the panic attack and how they filmed it in earlier in the episodes, but I was really, really impressed with how she acted it in that last one where she actually gives us those uh, fears that she sent Monel to her death and the panic there. I think that was just amazingly well done. But I would have killed for one line in the previous episode about why haven't they gotten a message from Monel? Because it also is entirely out of the blue. We have no, we had no idea that they were expecting to have a message. So it would have been nice that they just put a little bit of a, just a single line somewhere in there that we could have known that there was a question of Monel possibly being dead. And that had never come up. Yeah, if she sent him off with like a you know call when you get to the hotel or something like that. But we had yeah we had no idea that she was waiting on anything or expecting anything or that he would be going anywhere that you know could communicate back to her. I'm sure cell coverage is not that great. Yeah, I guess I didn't. It didn't even occur to me to to worry about it <laughs> yet. I don't know because space you know space travel takes a long time. Does it in any modern video? No. Well, and with with size power, it they explained it that she was bringing out fears, but then it seems in the end that all she can do is recall one fear. So if you get over the one fear, then she can't, you know, paralyze you anymore. I think it's probably best not to probe too deeply. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I, I don't think they spent a lot of time writing her, and so... I did like one thing about the one of the meetings with her and Sai, where uh, they were walking through. The, well, Sai was walking through the parkade, and I was thinking in my mind, "Boy, I really hope Supergirl uses some ranged weapons." And then she starts using her heat vision, and then uses her cold breath. And I was very happy that they at least considered that. Well, maybe if I don't get too close, that'll work better. And I, I really did actually like that there was a bit of thought there. Right. Yeah, and I agree with what Jess said earlier about Sai. As a villain, not being the point, but it's it's disappointing also because uh, Yeo Groplas, the actor, is really great on Jane the Virgin as an actual villain, and so I kind of wish that if you're getting an actor that good to play a villain role here, that you at least give her more to work with, as opposed to being basically a plot device to get the super ghost feel. Because she's really good, and and she does her best, I think, with the material she's given. But you know, uh, from watching her on Jane the virgin for multiple seasons she could be doing a lot more and i think if they if they challenged her with a more complex plot or gave her you know more to work with she could be even better than what little we see of her now i liked her performance i just oh, there wasn't much there to perform but i liked her performance yeah especially when they introduced her i thought like just the right the like richness of her voice and like her she just has a very spooky presence that i really liked uh, but she just never progressed. It was just the same throughout. So yeah, I, I, it's definitely a writer problem and not a, an actress problem. So here's a question. Yes. In, in previous seasons, they would then recall some of these one-off villains. Do we think that this is one that they're going to bring back for another episode or a villain team up or something? So she has a really interesting power, um, but which I think you know elicits very cool... Uh, reactions from characters, uh, you know, and you can explore uh, lots of nuances in each character's psyche and all that stuff. But it's not very visually interesting. 
So I'm not sure that they'd bring her back unless they found a way to make it show us what the characters are seeing in their heads like a little better or a little more flashily. Yeah, I agree with that. And I and I also hope that if they do bring her back, that they give her something cooler to do and that they give her more more character development or maybe more uh, progress to, to have made. And also to add to uh, what Jess just said about, you know, making the, fe- the characters' points of view more interesting in terms of showing their fears, I will think, I, I will say that the part about Kara's fear regarding Monel was good and it stood in stark contrast to uh the first person view we saw of her being inside the pod and seeing krypton explode that was some pretty bad cgi that almost felt like early 90s cgi so i hope <laughs> if they bring back uh Psy and they show someone's fears that they do a better job than that yeah the the CGI there was not good, but I liked the idea of having it from her perspective and not being able to see her. So you were like literally in her eyes. I really liked that. Yeah, I, I agree. That was a really good idea. Maybe maybe it could have been mm-hmm. better executed if the visuals looked better. Right. Right. I, when they started the flashback, I was going to be, I was thinking like, oh boy, here, they're going to blow half their CGI budget on this one episode. And then it was like, <laughs> no, 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 they're not. <laughs> Which makes sense in a doilist p- perspective that you don't want to spend all your CGI budget on the second episode of the, of of this season. Yeah. So should we move on to single mom problems? Let's let's move on to single mom problems. So Ruby is acting out at school, <laughs> and mom seems to be in a bit of denial about it all. I, I going back to the intro video. I do really like the look that Ruby gives her mom's cell phone while they're having breakfast. It's just this, this absolute dislike <laughs> and resentment regarding that phone. It's just a beautiful look in the moment in that uh, intro video. Yeah, I, I'm really liking what they're showing in the interactions between mom and Ruby. Um, and I'm sorry I keep calling her mom, but how often have we heard her name? I know someone said her name is Samantha, but I, I just... Keep... She was introduced as Samantha, and then she reduced it to Sam, and I think those it's been said one... Each name's been said once, right at the end. That's it. So, I'm, I'm sorry for reducing Sam to mom, but that's basically been her functions and, until the very end when she's introduced as the surprise replacement CEO. So, anyway, she gets a call that uh, Ruby punched someone at school and uh, rearranges her... Her schedule for that, and then uh, it turns out that uh, Ruby was telling someone else, another kid, that her mom said superpowers, and the kid scoffed, and that was when Ruby punched her. And it seemed, uh, I believe, there's a bit more going on than that. But uh, Sam reiterated that she did not have superpowers, and then later on in the show, uh, kind of demonstrated that well she 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 had an opportunity to exhibit superpowers i don't want to mention the uh, potential spoiler um similarity to another movie that this has but it certainly tells you a good reason for having um secret identities so your children don't tell you you have superpowers when they're at school <laughs> right i don't believe in episode one that Ruby actually saw the girder that had 
bent and twisted from Sam's uh, rescuing uh, Ruby. So I don't, she did lift the heavy thing, but uh, Sam explained that as adrenaline, which, you know, in a hand wavy, certainly in a CW world, you could see adrenaline being enough to do that. But then here in this episode, she has an opportunity to be super to save them from Psy and does not take it. And so does it only come out intermittently right now? I'm not sure. Well, I was a little confused with, so she brings her home, has a talk with her, apparently took the afternoon off. Uh, then orders a pizza and trying to get life back to normal. But her daughter has escaped their suburban home, gone to what seems like a downtown area to also have pizza. I, I wasn't really sure why the, the daughter ran off to a, a pizza place unless they just can't agree on topping. But then as soon as the danger presents itself, then it turns into here I'm trying to be in danger so you can save me. I, I think she's she is out there looking for danger. She's trying to figure out how to how do I prove that my mother has superpowers and putting myself in danger sounds like the best idea. And I think she is literally out there looking for an opportunity. Well, she might have been gone just to make her mom mad and make her mom worry and pay even more attention than the school incident would have made her pay. I mean, cl- clearly they're having problems with. Uh, with the daughter believing she has superpowers and mom just shutting her down, um, uh, which, you know, is understandable who wants to deal with that, especially if you're not even sure it's true. But uh, I, I think it was more than, uh, I certainly agree that that would make sense for her to put herself, well, not not in a rational um <laughs> But in a show way, it would have kind of made sense for her to do that. But I think it was also just her being angry at mom and trying to make her upset like she was upset. Well, and lucky for her, Sai is outside the pizza place and the crane operator's (laughs) fear of snakes. His reaction to that is just to swing a wrecking ball around all over the place. And so it all worked out perfectly. Yeah, there were a fair number of coincidences in in that whole scene and scenario, but uh, that's that's kind of a peril of CW. So again, maybe not. Maybe we shouldn't dwell on that too much. What really interested me was that uh, even after all this happened, the next morning it appeared that this was the first time Sam was trying to talk to Ruby about the whole incident. Um, It seemed like they had just gone home and not even talked about what had just happened uh, because the morning conversation seemed completely fresh and not, not full of, you know, we talked about this already. So that I, that seemed very strange to me. When I was a little, you know, perked my attention with one bit of dialogue where, Alex says, you know, Ruby's very strong. Well, the only thing stronger than Ruby is Diamond. And I was thinking, what, are we setting this up for something? Does she want to call her mom Diamond? Where are we going with this? (laughs) I did like that for once, um, uh, Alex had the lines that help to build up somebody and make them feel better, rather than Supergirl being the, you know, I'm going to be the moral happiness uh, symbol for everybody where, you know, Supergirl is in a bad emotional place still. And uh, it was interesting to see Alex 
stepping up and kind of being a, a an inspiring figure instead of having Supergirl fill that hole. Maybe that's part of her whole opening up emotionally with Maggie thing. Yeah, it does seem like they're taking pains to make her more, I wouldn't say warm and fuzzy, but, you know, a, a little more personable than she has been in the past. And they even poked mm-hmm. fun, at, fun at it in the last yes. episode where the relentless seriousness. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I do like I do like um, Alex being more, more of a, a nurturing person, which she must have been because, you know, she's been taking care of Kara her whole life. So you know that that's in her. So it's nice right. to see it. But that did bring up a point almost immediately between her and uh, Maggie, where Alex talks about kids someday and maggie says she never saw herself as having kids and so alex said oh, we're gonna have to talk about this <laughs> i know it's rule one in any long-term relationship right not after right? the wedding's been scheduled you'd think they would have been talking about that before they were talking about dj or band for yeah. the wedding you start to wonder what do they talk about when the cameras are not filming <laughs> on the plus side i think that if because I think in the last episode, you guys were speculating on whether or not the actress was going to leave the show um, and whether or not they'd kill her off and how terrible that would be because it's such a terrible, um, lazy trope that television shows often go for uh, with gay characters. Like, you know, they have to bring the tragedy for some reason. Um, so, you know, at least this way, if they're going to break up and she's going to leave the show, it's a breakup for like real reasons and not just eh i guess we'll kill her off now yeah i would be fine with a with a breakup because they find out that though they love the each other they're not really compatible after all that would be perfectly understandable and reasonable uh speaking as someone who just watched season six of buffy please don't kill maggie off (laughs) oh yeah um So is that pretty much all the plot lines that people wanted to d- talk about? I think so. The The only thing I wanted to touch on aside from that was the plotting, not so much in this episode, but in the last episode, the plotting felt kind of slow. And I think you guys discussed how it was kind of boring. Well, not boring, but like it was, it just felt kind of flat. And something I, I noticed over the, because I watched these two episodes back to back, Something I noticed is that I think this season, the emotional writing is much tighter. Um, like they're giving, the plot is giving the characters more space to develop. And I really like that. I mean, I don't think they've quite found the right balance yet. But I did notice, like, for instance, in this plot line, we had Sai, you know, interact with Kara like four times, maybe five times. And even though each of the encounters was sort of like treading over the same ground. Kara walked away from each of them with, with more insight into herself and she grew as a character. Mm-hmm. And, and I really liked that. I liked that, that it's just giving her more space to be a real realized person, um, which I think sometimes these superhero shows, it's more like, you know, crash, bang, action piece, fighting, and then you don't get a lot of character building. Uh, so I, I really appreciate that they are taking the time to let these characters become fully realized. Well, they definitely are giving a lot of time to Samantha 
And a couple other things I picked up was she mentioned that dad was not around. Um, and then at the end of the episode where she decides to you know, question her own abilities, um, you know, she was in the garage and, and seemed to be hunting around like maybe that wasn't her stuff. And so I'm wondering if there's also some storyline that, you know, she's a recent widow or, you know, something that, you know, e even more depth to her character that they, you know, they spent a good part of two episodes and still have more to go on her backstory without getting into powers and villains and blow stuff up. Mm -hmm. Yes. I am definitely excited to learn more about Samantha. I just kind of wish that the the villain of the week part, uh, since it is so kind of throwaway to the rest of the show, that I kind of wish they would either make that part a little bit more interesting or drop it entirely for an episode or two, uh, because it just seems to be taking time away from the interesting stuff. Yeah, maintaining the villain of the week is definitely part of why the villains end up becoming far flatter. So they really may want to move away from that. I just wanted to point out that I think Samantha Sam does clearly have a superpower, which she mm -hmm. is presumably in her mid thirties. She has a thirteen year old. She has a approximately thirteen year old daughter, so she must have had her around twenty, and she is in charge of Elcorp. I am beyond me how 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 you pull that off <laughs> as a single parent. Uh, wow. So. At the very end of the episode, uh, John gets a mental phone call from Magan, and she, she tells him that uh, he needs to go to Mars at once. And so I was very excited, thinking, oh boy, wow, and how interesting, a, a side character episode. But then in the next week uh, uh, shots, we saw that Supergirl is going to insist on going with him. So, oh well. I mean, I, I, I really like Supergirl, but I, I do like the other characters, too. And I would not mind an episode or two where she was out of the show. Just like on The Flash, I think it would have been fine if he had been stuck uh, uh, in in time prison for a few episodes before they brought him back. But, oh well, uh, the CW centers its superheroes relentlessly, and that's just how it is. Yeah, it might be nice to see... Uh... Supergirl feel like a fish out of water and and have to take a backseat to Jean for a while. It might be it might be all right. And especially, I think it could work on a show like this where uh, Melissa Benoist is great as Supergirl, but all the other uh, supporting characters are also really great actors, and you know they could very easily carry an episode on mm -hmm. their own. And so, I think if they do want to experiment, and if and I, I agree that would be a good idea, if they do want to experiment with having a non Supergirl centric episode, then that could make for really great TV as well. So, yeah, I think they should really look into doing that. Again, this was an episode where John is a powerful telepath, and while he does definitely more useful things in this episode, he doesn't actually go out in the field when trying to fight another psionic telepath, which seemed a little strange. So maybe now we'll at least get a better uh, John episode. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we would like to thank the Incomparable Network for hosting us. Uh, I want to thank all of our panelists today, uh, David, Jess, Alan, and Scott, and thank Seth, of course, Seth Heasley, our uh, sound editor for <laughs> handling this episode, and our listeners. 
Uh, we appreciate our listening audience. And if you want to continue the conversation with us, uh, there's a Facebook group for The Incomparable. And also, if you're a uh, paid subscriber to The Incomparable Network, you can get on the Slack channel and talk with us. So once again, thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you.